you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. I'm good. Um, you know, getting ready for the weekend. A lot of exciting games in the National Football League. The college slate is a little all over the place. Yeah, well, they're with, dropping uh, like flies, man. With cancellations and those things. But, um, look, it's still fantastic. And I think this week we, we talked about having the opportunity to continue to look at these quarterbacks, young and old. Uh, get to do their deal. I think I think it continues to set the stage for how we will evaluate the position going forward. Yeah, it's going to be uh, man, it's going to be a fun quarterback class. Zach Wilson, BYU. I'm telling you, every conversation I have with people, that's the name that that keep com- keeps coming up more than any other. So so much uh, so much DJ. Like I, th- I think the thing about him, he looks like he has so much fun mm-hmm. playing the game, and he has so much command, and he he kind of checks off what I would say those intangible boxes that you want from your quarterback. So we can talk about the arm talent, the athleticism, the ability to make plays. But when I look at his teammates react to him, I can tell that he kind of gives them hope. They feel like they have a guy. They're sitting at un, and, uh, with an unbeaten mark, and they may run the table. But I think when you're looking at, at franchise quarterbacks, I think we've seen it because we'll talk about Joe Burrow and how Joe Burrow has been able to impact the squad. We'll talk about how um, Justin Herbert has impacted the Chargers. I think he has some of that in him. And because of that, I think he kind of joins that conversation and creates a big four when we talk about the top quarterbacks in this class. And I'm, I'm you know, as ha- this happens, anytime you have a number of quarterbacks in that, in that top clump, I think there's always the assumption it goes, you know, one, two, three, four, and then the debate starts at five. Not, not so much. I'm telling you, some guys, number two is going to be number four for others. It's going to be, it's going to be mixed around the league. Oh yeah. Styles makes fights. And like guys, guys have certain things that they kind of gravitate towards. And I think this will be a thing that it won't be cut and dried. And I don't think the conversation will be as everyone has painted it from the summer in terms of like being able to just stockpile and say, Oh, it's this, it's this, it's that. I just think it's different. I, I think we may have a rare instance where we have a ton of talented quarterbacks and now it's about musical chairs. Can we get them to the right spot so we can see their talent on full display? No doubt. Um, well, on the show today, we're going to get to uh, the top 25 rookies in the first half of the season. So we're going to run through that list, kind of explain the way that uh, that we came up with that. Um, but before we get to that, I-, I want to have a conversation here at the top because our buddy Tom Pelissero here at, uh, at NFL Media Group does his yearly article where he identifies kind of the up and coming coaching candidates. And uh, he-, he it's really great. You just got to go to NFL.com. Uh, you'll find it on there. But he has some new faces. So these are guys that weren't listed previously when he does this on a yearly basis. So I mm-hmm. want to go over the new guys that he's added because I feel like we've talked a lot about these guys. But I want to kind of flesh out their candidacy and why they would be good head coaching options. And let's start, first of all, with a guy we're going to see coaching tonight, Thursday Night Football, and that's Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. You know, Arthur Smith is so unique. Arthur Smith is a guy who, um, if you don't know his background, like his dad started FedEx. And so you naturally think he's a silver spooner. But anyone that you talk to talks about how he is a grinder. He is a guy who has asked for no favors. 
He has worked his way up the ranks. He started working with Greg Williams as a, as a defensive quality control guy. So he understands the defense side of the ball before making his way back to offense, being a tight end coach, which allows him to not only tie together the running game with the offensive line, but to understand the passing game. And I think because of his unique experience, understanding the run and the pass and being able to craft an offense that is very, very easy for the quarterback or, or quarterback friendly, I think he's going to really get a lot of intrigue this cycle. Um, even though we continue to talk about this being a quarterback driven league and you have to have a head coach that really understands the development of the quarterback. I think his unique perspective and background enables him to know how to work with the quarterback while still building a team that kind of has a recipe for success in any kind of era. Yeah. He's, he's somebody that, you know, everything I've heard and talking to the folks inside the building there is that his relationship with Ryan Tannehill has been outstanding. It's a collaborative effort. They get together, they find out what he likes, what Tannehill likes, what he doesn't like, and they craft a game plan. I think that that ability to work alongside a quarterback, not, not even just develop him, you know, mechanically and, and, and learn the offense, but actually be a, able to have that collaborative relationship. I think when you look at, at some of the successful coaches in the NFL on the offensive side of the ball, I think that's a key part of it, just that collaborative nature. Huge. I mean, it's, it's not a dictatorship. It's a cooperation. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a thing where you have to be able to um, have conversations and communication and steady dialogue and ask the quarterback what he likes, what he doesn't like. And you have to call the game through the eyes of the guy who is the decision maker, which is the quarterback. And I think he has been able to humble himself enough to understand Ryan Tannehill likes to do certain things. So I'm going to put him in a position where he does those things that he does really well. And so uh, I I just think it's a credit to him. And I think part of that is just when you're around Arthur, he's a low ego guy. Like he just kind of one of the guys. And I think he just kind of gets it. And because of that, I think he's had a lot of success. And I think he is one of those guys that is certainly on the come and one of the guys we will see eventually get a head coaching job. All right, another new one on the list here is somebody we talked about at the beginning of the season. That's Byron Leftwich, uh, former quarterback. He's the offensive coordinator there under Bruce Arians with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I just want to get to you on this point here because when we've talked about him in the past, I get I get uh, blowback from people that oh, did you the way he called this game or he called that game? And I'm sitting here going, no, I'm not I'm not making Byron Leftwich my head coach because I want him to call plays. I'm making Byron Leftwich the head coach because he's a leader. He's respected. Um, he's somebody that can that can um, have charisma and carry himself in front of the room. Like he's the point man. Let him go hire his coach. You don't want to run his offense. Don't run his offense. I, I'm not arguing for that. I'm just saying this guy is a, is a very bright uh, uh, guy with tremendous leadership qualities. Yeah, and I think you even have to dig deeper um, beyond the play calling thing and, and look at his centers of influence. Like he won a ton of games at Marshall. Marshall at the time was a premier program. Um, he then goes plays in Jacksonville, but also spends time as a backup in Pittsburgh. And so being able to understand the way the Steelers go about their business and the high standards that they have and seeing Ben Roethlisberger and filling in, because remember, they not only had him, but they had Charlie Batch. And so just understanding that. And so you're getting a guy who kind of understands roles and responsibility and how to fit in and those things. And then we're working with Bruce Arians and having the, the struggles that he had to experience at and endure at Arizona and then being able to come through, I think this has been a very, very unique set of circumstances. All right, I'm really intrigued by this next one because I do not know him, but I have tremendous respect for what he's done. That's Clemson offensive coordinator Tony Elliott. Yeah, Tony Elliott is a great one. And when I look at Tony (laughs) Elliott, uh, the reason it's fascinating is because he has been a guy that's kind of been a solid partner when it comes to calling plays down at Clemson. He's been that co-offensive coordinator for years. But in talking to him, man, he's just a very bright uh 
edgy, forward-thinking offensive coordinator. And I think he's been around the Dabo way or that Clemson culture enough that he understands how to build the right culture. And I think that is very, very important as we go forward. Yeah, he's uh, – man, I love the offense. I think it's a dynamic offense that he runs. I think they've done a great job developing quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, look, he even says it in here. Tom even says it that uh, he initially pursued a career industrial in industrial engineering. Yeah, really, so, really, really smart. a lot smart. smarter than I am. I can tell you that much. Really smart in talking to him, man. He's a really bright guy. He guess he has a low ego. He does a great job of managing. All right, Buck, uh, let's keep it going here. There's uh, two more names here on – or, sorry, three more names here on the list. Mm-hmm. Let's get to the next one is somebody that I know I've heard you talk a lot about. That's Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator of the Giants. Yeah, really interesting uh, story. I mean, Ivy Leaguer, who has earned his way up the thing, obviously working with the Patriots then down in Miami. He was the defense coordinator and with the Giants. Did you, I think I've been very impressed with not the schemes and the things that his guys are doing on the defense side of the ball, but they play hard. And I think one of the things that you look for is when you're talking to a head coach is you just kind of want to be able to visualize what his team would play like. And I think the vision that I have from Patrick Graham's unit is that this is going to be a hard-nosed physical football team. Now, X and O's wise, I don't know what they look like on offense, but I think as a leader, he certainly has some intriguing um, abilities and potential as a candidate. All right, let's get to the next one on the list here because, I, yeah, I am, I am intrigued by Patrick Graham. I mean, the, look, the results he's got speak for themselves with how hard that group plays. Uh, Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley. Really interesting one, DJ. And I, I'm gonna be, I'll be first to admit that I was a little skeptical when he took over. He's so young. Um, he was a guy that was a quarterback in his background. He kind of earned his way up the ranks and, and became a successful college coordinator. Then he he, he links up with, Vic Fangio and Sean McVay was always fascinated by that defense because it always gave his teams problems. And so he comes to the Rams after Wade Phillips. And I don't think it's an easy task to follow one of the most accomplished defensive coordinators in football, but I think he's made the Rams defense better. What he's been able to do with Jalen Ramsey, moving him around at that star position, um, allowing him to do a bunch of different things to get buy-in from your star player sometimes is essential to having success at this level. And so his ability to command his unit by, while getting the best players to buy into the vision, to me, speaks volumes about his leadership ability, as well as the tactical skills that he's also been able to display. Yeah, only 37 years old and learned under Vic Fangio, who's uh, one of the best in the business. So, you no, know, look, I love what he does schematically, and it seems like he's a big energy guy as well. Uh, last one, uh, we've talked about Joe Brady a, a ton, so I know there's a whole lot to add there, but Joe Brady with the Panthers. Look, exceeded expectations. And, and I'll say this, having had conversations with other coordinators and quarterback coaches and offensive coaches around the league before – He got the job and asking them the challenges of a guy who had his resume coming in. And there were a lot of naysayers and doubters and skeptics. And for the Carolina Panthers to have the kind of offense that they've had without Christian McCaffrey being a bit part of it for most of the season, I think it says a lot about Joe Brady and his tactical ability. But the connection that he also has with Teddy Bridgewater, to me, that is the part that I'm like, okay, he really gets it. He gets what we talked about with Arthur Smith in terms of the yin and the yang between the play caller and the playmaker. He gets that. And I know he's young and I know you have to really make sure that he puts together a staff that kind of compensates for some of the lack of experience that he may have. But I'm all in on the Joe Brady train. 
Yep. I mean, I, I I feel like we've been talking about Joe Brady for a long time. So it's uh, to me, I think you want to hire him a year too early as opposed to a year too late because you're going to miss out um, on somebody like that. So those are that's again, I would encourage everybody to check out the rest of that article. Again, it's Tom Pelissero did a great job uh, there at NFL.com. He has a list of the guys that he had previously as well. Those are just the new names um, that we went over. Okay, we're at the halfway mark of the season, so it's a good time to reflect. And uh, I like to do this every year, which is at the quarter mark, half halfway mark as well, is, is be able to identify who the top 25 rookies are. Um, and that's something that we've done here at the midway point. So here are the top 25 rookies at the midway point of the 2020 season. Number 25 on the list, Jonathan Taylor, running back for the Indianapolis Colts. Number 24 on the list, Darnell Mooney, wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. 23 on the list, big Javon Kinlaw. You remember that trade? They trade DeForest Buckner. They end up getting Javon Kinlaw with that pick after trading up with Indianapolis Colts. Kinlaw there with the Niners. At 22, it's Trevon Diggs. Unfortunately, just suffered an injury with the Cowboys, but it played uh, really well. A little up and down, but made some big-time plays on the football. 21, Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver. Do all everything, man, for the 49ers. So that's 25 to 21, Buck. Who stands out to you? Look, it's a really impressive list, even though it's at the bottom of the top 25. And you talked about some guys that had really impressive performances. The guy that stands out to me is Brandon Ayuk for the San Francisco 49ers. We have seen him already make an impact as one of the yak boys, meaning yards after catch. He and Debo Samuel, George Kittle do a great job of turning these short passes into big gains. And his ability to run through contact and to make things happen on the perimeter has only added a dimension to an offense that was already pretty good in San Francisco. Yeah, he's been fun. You talk about those wingbacks, right, guys that can do a little bit of everything, run with the ball, uh, get him in the slot, get mismatches, uh, get him down the field. He does a lot of things for that offense. He's been outstanding. I would just say uh, real quick, Mooney is probably one that's yes. a little bit of a surprise considering where he was picked, the job he's done for the Bears. Uh, he's been a big-time impact player for them. All right, let's keep moving here. Let's go 20-16. to 16. Number 20 on the list, Antonio Gibson, uh, running back for the Washington football team. Jerry Judy, number 19, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, who's really started to come on over the last couple weeks. T. Higgins has been outstanding as Joe Burrow's go-to guy. He's number 18 on the list. Keep the wide receiver train going here. Number 17, Chase Claypool, a big receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then number 16, Derek Brown, hulking defensive tackle out of Auburn, who's had an excellent half of a season here for the Carolina Panthers. Well, the one thing that we know, DJ, at that point of the list, we talk about the pass catchers. The pass catchers have been so impressive. And we thought last year's draft class was one of the best set of receivers that we've seen enter the draft in some time and is really proven out. But the guy that stands out to me is one of the guys that I think was unheralded in the class, and that's Chase Claypool. What he's doing for the Pittsburgh Steelers is really remarkable. This is a guy that is on the perimeter, a big-body playmaker, a guy that some consider to be a tight end prospect, yet he goes to Pittsburgh. He's running jet sweeps. He's their vertical threat. He's their big play specialist. He has done everything. In fact, he has been so good that he's kind of relegated Juju Smith-Schuster to kind of secondary status. This offense is really thriving, and Chase Claypool has kind of been the focal point. Yeah, it's going to be a, a big luxury there for the Steelers because they're not going to have to pay Juju Smith-Schuster going forward. They're going to be able to ride with the young guys. He's proven uh, he's more than capable there. All right, let's keep it going here. Let's go 15 to 11. Uh, 15, Jalen Johnson, talented corner out of Utah for the Chicago Bears, has played excellent. Jedrick Wills, tackle, solidified that position there for the Cleveland Browns. He is 14. Uh, Michael Awenu is, is somebody that is probably the biggest surprise on the entire list. 
who's been outstanding for the New England Patriots. You can make a case here at 13. Uh, could even mo- move him up a little bit higher, but uh, a really a great find there out of Michigan. Number 12 on the list, big uh, Mount Mackay Becton there for the Jets. Has been, has been hurt a little bit, but when he's been out on the field, he's been dominant. Uh, number 11, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. Who stands out, Buck? Look, a really impressive list because we have some guys that kind of came out of uh, obscurity to be dominant players. But I think for me, when you draft someone high in the draft, you want to see an immediate impact. You want to see dominant performance. And when Makai Becton was selected near the top of the board, we wanted to see him dominate. And he has been a dominant player for the New York Jets. Each week we see these videos on Twitter where he is absolutely mauling and mashing NFL defenders throwing him almost off the screen. And so when I think about the New York Jets and what they want to do eventually and who they want to be, I think he's a focal point. He's a foundational piece. And when you invest that kind of capital in a a left tackle, you want to be a dominant player. He certainly looks like he has all the dominant potential that you want to see. And just outside the top 10 there in, in Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the last couple of weeks they haven't really used the run game as much. When you have Patrick Mahomes and they're going to they're gonna dare you to throw, he's going to throw. And so you haven't seen uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire in, as much uh, as we did earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. But I have, a, I have a feeling as the weather gets bad, we come down the stretch here, you're going to see a little bit more of Clyde Edwards-Alaire there for the Chiefs offense. All right, let's go top 10. We'll go one by one here. Uh, get your reaction with these guys. Number 10 on the list, a linebacker that we both loved going through the draft process, Patrick Queen uh, out of LSU, has been the leading tackler for the Baltimore Ravens. Hey, DJ, we talked about the new school linebackers that you need at the se- second level. They have to be able to hit, run, and cover. And Patrick Queen can do that. And even though he's an inexperienced player, as he was coming into the league, he has already made an impact on the Baltimore Ravens defense. They needed to get faster at the second level. And so for one of the defenses that blitzed almost the most of any team in the National Football League, you now get another piece to come downhill, to be aggressive, to create disruption. He has been a perfect fit in a defense that looks like out. Yeah, you talk about range and speed. Uh, he brings it to the table to a team that, you know, we look at the playoffs last year. The Tennessee Titans can't allow that to happen again. That's why he was picked, and uh, we'll see how it goes as they march towards the postseason. Number nine on the list, Antoine Winfield Jr. with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers out of the University of Minnesota. Hey, DJ, we always talk about bloodlines and why legacy is so important sometimes in the draft process. Sometimes when you have uh, a family member, a dad, an uncle, a cousin that has played in the league, you kind of understand the family business. I think it's very, very clear and apparent that Wingfield understands the family business. He plays like a vet. He's been in this step right into that starting lineup and give them some pop. Uh, fantastic player. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got a good one when they landed him. I feel like we have a little theme here of guys that really play fast on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to keep that going here because number eight on the list, Jeremy Chin, uh, another member of that Carolina Panthers draft class. He finds his way all the way up there at number eight. You know, look, there was a lot of controversy about the Carolina Panthers and how they elected to go about their draft process. Went with the big guy first, came back and got the hybrid playmaker in the second round. But I think it's I mean, you could say that Jeremy Chin is playing like a top 10 pick uh, the way that he has been able to come down and man that that linebacker spot, that hyper spot, and give them not only the speed and playmaking ability, but the disruption that you need. He is a pillar, a foundational piece that they've discovered. And I think everyone in Carolina should be happy with Jeremy Chen and what he's been able to do already. I love the energy he brings. I mean, you just see it. The, the speed is there, obviously, but it brings a lot of life, a lot of energy to that defensive unit. Just plays with his hair on fire. Love to watch him go. All right, these next two players, Buck, same position. We've seen wide receivers littered all throughout this top 25 list. In my opinion, these are the best two through the first half of the season. Let's start here at number seven with the Cowboys and CeeDee Lamb. 
Hey, man, C.D. Lamb has been a fantastic find. Now, even though this offense has been in flux, partially due to the offensive line and the quarterback situation, each and every week he shows you how special he is. His ability to catch the ball in traffic is outstanding. His run after catch ability, I think, may have been a little underrated when we talked about it, talked about him coming out, but he's been able to put that on display. And even though he's kind of like a third option in this passing game with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, each and every week you have to be aware of 88 Fantastic player. Yep, and the uh, only person ahead of him on the wide receiver list, number six, Justin Jefferson. Man, Justin Jefferson. Uh, DJ, is one of those things that we'll go back in the drafts in five or so years and try and figure out like why teams that had opportunities to take him bypassed him. He has stepped in, and he has given the Minnesota Vikings exactly what they had in Stephon Diggs, a polished route runner, a guy who can consistently create separation and make plays. I mean, I don't want to say that he has taken the number one roll away from Adam Thielen, but he's very, very close to snatching that title because he has been an immediate impact player for a team that needed another weapon on the outside. I thought we knew he was going to be a good route runner, excellent hands. You can use him down the red zone. I don't know that we anticipate the big plays, you know, the number of big plays, explosive plays he's provided there for the Vikings. He's been the best in show uh, of the wide receivers in the first half of the season. All right, we get to the top five here. Uh, This one, undrafted free agent, home run Jacksonville James Robinson the running back for the Jags out of Illinois State comes in at number five unbelievable right unbelievable discovery that an undrafted free agent not only supplants a guy that was a top five pick in Leonard Fournette but he has immediate success on a team that doesn't really have a a, a lot of stuff going for it but he has been able to step in he's been able to give them some punch and power as a workhorse running back and I think the, the thing about him that separates him from others is he catches the ball really well off the backfield and so as they go forward and try and rebuild this team in Jacksonville, I believe they have a four-star running back in the backfield in James Robinson. Yeah, I'd like to see him eventually get paired with somebody with some big-time juice and speed. I think they'll play off of each other very well, but he's going to be that power back for them uh, for the next few years. All right, number four on the list, a guy we thought was the best player in the draft class. He's missed a couple games. If he didn't miss those games, he'd probably be even higher, but that's Chase Young there with the Washington football team. Hey, he's giving Ron Rivera exactly what he wanted. He's giving him a Julius Peppers-like defender to build that front line around. Uh, Jack Del Rio, Ron Rivera have had a lot of fun because this defense is a dominant defense. And if they get any kind of performance and production from their offense, the defense is good enough to carry them to the division title. And part of that is due to Chase Young's ability to dominate off the edge. Power rusher, man. If you can't anchor, good luck against Chase Young. He's going to go right through your chest. Uh, number three, who's been? This is the one who's been the best offensive lineman uh, this year, and I, I don't necessarily think it's it's all that close because he's been out there each and every week. He's been consistent. It's the athleticism and the physicality. That's Tristan Wirfs with the Tampa Bay Bucks out of Iowa. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he is just another testament to the job that they do at Iowa in terms of preparing their guys because he is a rare specimen. He is an athletic freak with technical skills. And when you look at him, he has settled in very, very quickly into his position, protecting Tom Brady, Uh, physical player. uh, You would like to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers run the ball more because he is able to generate a push and dominate his side at the point of attack. But in protection and everything that you've asked him to do, he's been A+. I saw it calling the, the, the Chargers game uh, against the Bucks. the job he did against Joey Bosa. That is a very tough assignment. He held up very well. In fact, uh, earned some praise there from Bosa after the ball game was over. Uh, number two on the list, top two guys are quarterbacks, and you can make an argument either way. Mm-hmm. It was close, but I think we got this right here. Number two through the first half of the season is the number one overall pick, Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals out of, out of almost at Ohio State, out of LSU. 
Well, I mean, you can look, he can claim it. I mean, he almost has two <laughs> degrees on the wall, but yeah. Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow has, has been everything and then some as a number one overall pick. Uh, you worried about how would he handle the situation going into Cincinnati and maybe not having a, like a fully functional organization. But I will say this, the Cincinnati Bengals have done a good job of putting him in a situation that has allowed him to be comfortable. The supporting cast is terrific. Zach Taylor's done a really good job of implementing some things from LSU's playbook. And Joe Burrow has been as cool as we thought that he would be in terms of his poise, composure, his confidence. And I think he has been what we call a thermostat leader. He has changed the temperature in the room in Cincinnati. They believe each and every week that they have a shot to win. And that's something that we absolutely could not have said about the Cincinnati Bengals a season ago. Yeah. He's made them competitive almost every single week. And he's done it as a thrower, as well as a runner, uh, extending plays. Doesn't matter the the offensive lines had a lot of issues and he's been able to cover up a lot of them. So man, the future is bright there in Cincinnati. All right, we get to number one on the list and that's the chargers, Justin Herbert, who, uh, has just been simply outstanding uh, since he took over after week one. Yeah, he's been outstanding, DJ. And I, I think the reason why we've been so effusive in our praise is because there were so many questions about Justin Herbert coming in. Um, for whatever reason, we as scouts in the scouting community couldn't see him as a can't miss. There were so many things that maybe he was held back, didn't fully show at Oregon. And so we just didn't know if he could do it on the big stage. But man, to get the call five minutes before the game, his first start, to go and light it up, to then average over 300 yards, again, to throw the ball all over the yard like he's been able to do, to show the poise and the composure and the confidence to consistently have his team in a position to win, whether they're holding on to a lead or coming back, that is everything that you look for from a franchise quarterback. And I think one thing that will be a silver lining in this Chargers season, oh, they found the guy. Now it's about building around the guy, but they found the guy at quarterback, and that guy is Justin Herbert. Yeah, I, I was – when you look at your notes, I can make a lot of A-words here, right? Awareness, he's had outstanding awareness. He's got the best passer numbers against pressure of any quarterback in the National Football League, which is incredible as a rookie. So awareness, check. Uh, athletic ability, yeah, they've used him on some zone reads. He's been able to escape, make plays with his legs, extend plays, um, be a threat there in the run game as well. So I, I would say you've got awareness, you've got athletic ability. Arm strength, yeah, big check. Uh, the ability to fit balls in very tight windows down the field to drive the football – uh, that's there as well. So between between the awareness, uh, the athleticism, the arm strength, and finally accuracy, I believe he's at 67% or so uh, as a completion percentage. Um, he, he's delivered the ball very well. So everything that you've seen from Justin Herbert, if you're a, uh, if you're a Charger fan, I think it gives you a lot of hope. The wins aren't there right now, um, but man, that, that position is going to be secure for a decade plus the way Justin Herbert has played. Absolutely. It's, it's secure. They feel good. They should be in, in the arms race in the AFC West because now they have a quarterback in a division where you need exceptional quarterback play to rain on top, to come out on top. Well, it's a fun exercise every year, Buck, going through this thing. And you do it at the you know first quarter, at the midway point, third quarter, and at the end of the season. And it's interesting because you'll see some guys who will come out blazing in the first four games. And then by the time you get to the third quarter of the season, they fizzle out a little bit. Uh, so we'll see how these guys maintain their progress here as we go through the year. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. First-year players, you just never know when the light is going to go off. And given the circumstances that surrounded all of these guys, not being able to really uh, have workouts, get around their coaches, having to learn everything from a virtual standpoint, Zoom meetings and all that other stuff, for these guys to have immediate success, it talks about the talent, but it also talks about the maturity that they've been able to display to put it on themselves, to learn what they're being asked to do, to continue to work on their skill refinement away from the facility, to put themselves in a position to have success. 
Yep, we'll see. We'll see how these guys finish up the season, man. But it's uh, so far, it's been a very impressive rookie class. And excited to jump into this next uh, class as well. Just starting to crank on the tape here, working through some offensive linemen, Buck. Um, I don't think the group is going to be as good as uh, as last year's at that position. We had all those top guys, but a lot of depth there. And I think that is kind of trending for this draft class. Is It's going to be a pretty deep group. So, uh, But again, it's weird. Some guys haven't played at all. They opted out. Other guys have played one game. Some guys have played eight games. It's a, it's a weird scouting year, man. It is a weird scouting year. I, I do wonder... Um, when we get a chance to get down the line, like how guys are going to evaluate that. I know we always talk about, oh, you have to just evaluate the tape, but DJ, it, it has to be something different. Like a guy that plays eight games this year versus a guy that set out the entire year, regardless of the talent, like th- there still has to be something that you account for. It, it, it's just so hard. I, I don't know how you level the playing field. I don't know how you necessarily stack the board because some of those guys are more projection than production. And you just don't know. So much uncertainty around it. No doubt. Uh, all right. Anything you want to add before we get out of here? No, nah, man. Great show. Like, I just love talking about these young guys and how they're playing and performing. And the game just continues to change in terms of how quickly guys are able to not only get on the field, but how quickly they're able to make an immediate impact. No doubt. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. I want to thank you guys so much for hanging with us here. Uh, it's been a fun episode. We'll see you back here on uh, Monday with our takeaway episode. Uh, you can also find that uh, NFL.com slash MTS video. We've got you covered with all our video stuff. Uh, go check out the YouTube page, uh, YouTube.com slash NFL podcast. We've got lot of, lots of video content up there for you as well. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to Move the Sticks presented by Zaxby's. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.